This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. My Natural Hair is a podcast that shares all the information you're looking to learn about natural hair, the movement, the styles, growing your hair naturally and meeting other people part of the natural hair culture and movement. My Natural Hair is hosted by LaDonna Sims and Markeisha St. Clair from Hair Goals 313. Collectively, LaDonna and Markeisha have over 25 years of experience doing natural hair. Black Coffee is a podcast hosted by Kari Frazier and Frida Sampson Weekly. Weekly, Frida and Kari welcome guests to discuss the rich history of Black leadership, entrepreneurship, artistry, and social justice. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter Podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. We are the Unicorns Are Real Podcast. Tune into our Slappy Holidays episodes brought to you by our super artsy friends and the trade is different. Tune in and listen to our fun-filled combos with Tiny Jag, Bravo Hooligan, Josh and the Band, Scumbag Fred, and the Bleeding Hearts Club. Hashtag Get Get Slappy! (laughs) You're listening to the Piper Carter Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.
don't know my name. Royalty in my blood, homie, you ain't hit the game. Cause I ain't ivory, say it's a low down, dirty shame. But really, you missing out on what you missing. God gave us all this and you want a competition. Sharing don't take away, a simple addition. We can make it all go poof. With no magician, they say teamwork makes a dream work. We got all this buying power, how we make the cream work. Borders or blockchains, I skipped on the ball mains. I dipped on the ball games, I got on the ball. If you rockin' long braids or the ball fade. If you know the truth, you know we are all same. And we owe it to the world to let our light shine. Got me looking at my wrist like it's the right time. Huh? And the time is now. Back to the Piper Carter podcast. You're rocking with Piper Carter and our token millennial, Brittany. Hi, Piper. <sighs> oh, that's all the fans cheering for Brittany. <laughs> all, all the fans cheering for you. Aww. You had a beautiful weekend on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, long story short, on I went to the Women's March. Ooh. And through all the controversy, we went to support... The black, brown, indigenous, and Muslim women who are the coordinators of the march. So there was a lot of controversy. There, a lot of these white women who claim that they're for justice, um, Alyssa Milano, and like the other like white like women's march, so-called co-founder. Um, you know, were basically calling them anti-Semitic. And the crazy thing is, it's like they were calling for them to condemn Minister Farrakhan. But in order for you to condemn someone, don't you have to endorse them first? Yes. Okay, so they hadn't endorsed Minister Farrakhan, right? Like, um, so that in and of itself, and it was like, she had already gone on on the website and publicly saying that she doesn't agree with many of the statements that he's made and that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted her to say that specific sentence, like that, you know, I condemn, as if it was like to put a, Basically, they wanted her to put a curse on them or something, you know, or like bully her into like saying those words. And like our thing is like, you're not going to like use black women, brown women, Muslim women, and then be like, yeah, we're for the people so that you could get your agenda across and then turn around and turn on them because you can't bully them into doing what you want to do because you get your money from Zionists. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So it's really, anyway, it's so deep. I could go on and on. We got a guest. Like I won't even go a down beautiful that road. guest, but, but we got to. <laughs> okay. So I'll tell you a recap. Yeah. I'll tell you a recap. So went to the women's March. That was Friday. I got there in the morning in D.C. Um, so it, it started off with the Indigenous People's March. So I went straight from the plane to the Lincoln Memorial with the Indigenous People's March. It was really beautiful. They were burning sage and doing ceremony. We got to learn, listen to song. And it was super incredible. And then um, later, like that was the morning time. And then later that day, um, I got a chance to like go to the hotel and then kick it because our organization is the World March of Women. It's not the Women's March. It sounds the same, but the World March of Women, we're the United States chapter. Um, There's there's chapters all over the world, but um, long story short, we're made up of grassroots, leftist, you know, indigenous, black, brown, Muslim, all types of women. And um, we are more what you would call like activists and organizers. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas 
um, women's march is more made up for like the political sector, like electoral politics. Understood. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so um, we, so when we um, gathered, we made all our signs and things like that because they had asked our organization and a lot of other organizations to like be the front lines. Okay. And be like chant leaders and be in the front. And um, so that's a lot of what they ask us to do. So we were making batukata drums because like our um, organization, like we drum in the spirit of like um, batukata, like and this comes from these strong women from Brazil. Oh my God. And it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's basically to like reclaim safety for women and women's voices. And so we make like beats and stuff like that while we drum. Mm-hmm. And um, then... Um, you know, we made all our signs and our artwork and our drums and everything. And then that next morning, um, I went down there to go set up with everyone. But then I had to get on the train to go to New York because I, I accepted my award for the United Nations, from the United Nations. Wow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, um, Piper, it, you have to slow down that down a little Okay, bit. okay. All yes. Right. Take us through this. <clears throat> okay. So, I got a inbox from... The United Nations, shouts out to Imam Abdul Malik in New York City. And they did this award called the Women of Impact Awards, where they award these different women, um, Muslim women, awards for doing social justice. Wow. And Mm -hmm. so someone anonymously nominated me. And so... um, when the inbox they asked me would I accept the award and I said yes so I had to send an email saying that I accept the award and then they you know you know brought me out and everything like that and so it was really beautiful it was super formal Mm. I got to hear from all these different amazing women around the country doing incredible work whether it's like in prisons or being doulas Mm. or being a doctor or like working with youth um, and just you know technology and then um, I felt a little like, huh, because I'm like, wow, I'm just doing hip hop. But <laughs> but, it was, but it was cool because, you know. Are you though? Well, it no. was also like. <laughs> it's not. But it was also like, you know, like I appreciated I it. I understand, Piper. Yeah. And so when I accepted the award, I made sure to tell them that I was accepting that as well for my community and for my family and for the hood and for my charity. Because Mama Charity, Maymuna Hicks, the last time I saw her was three days before she was murdered. And that was at the Cass Commons where we do all our work, 2014 in May. And she was on her way. She was in New York City at the bus stop on her way to a meeting with the United Nations to have the Detroit and Flint water crisis declared a human rights violation. Mm. So I made sure to tell them that. And it was like the whole room was like, whoa. So I had, I felt like, you know, um, they tried to kill Mama Charity because they didn't want her to have that meeting because they didn't want that message to come out. But from the grave, she was able to not only get that message out, but like the rippling effects of like what all has been done to the point where I'm. With EMIAC, volunteering with them full time, and then I get an award for, like, my social justice. And I was like, there's no way I could, like, come here and, like, this is her. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like, I got to bring her in here with me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, literally, like, three days before she left, we was at the commons. Her yeah. waist bees broke. And I remember asking her, like, 
I need you to mentor me. And she just kept saying, you don't need a mentor. And I kept saying, please mentor me, mentor me. And I had a thought like, wow, she been mentoring me from the grave. Mm. She been mentoring like all of us from the grave. Because I had asked her to like take a bunch of us aside and like mentor. It was like me, Kadiri, Bryce. Mm. Like it was a bunch of us that I was like, we need mentorship. Because like we need guidance. Like we need support because we want to, because she was just able to read policy and like understand like intricate policy and then put it in layman's terms. Mm -hmm. And so this policy would be like, 30 pages, 40 pages, 100 pages of like legalese. Mm. And you'd be like, Mama Charity, what does it mean? And she would be like, they got niggas on the whole stroll. You know, and you'd be like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And it was like, I just wanted to be able to have more of us have that skill set. Mm. And it's interesting, like after she passed, like it, it made everybody like step their game up. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So somehow she was mentoring all of us from the grave. So anyway, just brought Ashe. her in that room. Yeah, Ashe. And then um, and then like that night, hopped back on the train, went back to DC. Then Sunday, um, went to meet with my well in DC with my World March of Women family, and um, we all like did trainings. We heard from one of our sisters that's the secretary for the international chapter of world march of women from Mozambique. Mm. And she was telling us about what's going on there and like what we need to do internationally, um, to resist against the right, to protect our families, to stand for women, to, you know, um, come together to, you know, all these other things. And so that was really powerful. Then we had more training Then we had dinner, um, mm. And it was like really just like bonding with sisters mm. and it was cool. Then I had a, then I got in the plane in the morning, came back to Detroit. I was supposed to go to the MLK March, but it was zero below. And I had just been traveling a bunch and I was like, I need a nap. So I took a nap and then I went, we had a MLK event that evening at Cass Commons. And um, it was around energy democracy and like um, environmental justice and um, indigenous and black sovereignty, mm. you know, for MLK Day. So that was really powerful. You had a very, very productive four-day weekend. I did. Yes, she did. Yeah, I did. With a lot of good energy. Thank you for, for really sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because one, people need to know that bonding is important amongst mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. And in the enjoyment of bonding mm -hmm. amongst women. So mm -hmm. it's good for you to give us that imagery and then for you to accept an award on the behalf of your ancestor. And then give us the story on how you asked you as a as a as the younger generation ask an elder to mentor you. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank so. Thank you for that. Yeah, and thank you for that. Well, another thing that I'm excited about is this guest that we want to bring in the room. So let me give. I got to give you guys a little Please. intro. So this person here is so incredible and amazing. She's a mother. She is a really amazing daughter that really looks out for her parents, her mom. Mm. She is a fighter, a warrior. She does social justice and organizing and activism, but she also knows how to do that admin stuff. Mm. She is a, an artist, uh, like visual artist mm. and a graphic designer. Wow. A poet, a writer. She also um, mentors youth and teaches. Mm. Um, and she's a, a really deep thinker, mm. so a critical thinker. Like, people think they're critical thinkers. Like, she's a really great critical thinker. And she knows how to also, like Mama Charity, 
take very complex, um, what I would call like more formalized forms of the movement or formalized parts of like social service and this kind of thing and like be relatable, you know what I'm saying? Like to people so that, you know, these rules and things like these, like sometimes they're very confusing to people. Maybe purposely, but I maybe purposely. Yeah. And so she's able to also like help transform community through Mm. like she's done it like through the system. Mm. And now she has her own thing that she's doing. So she's got like the entire like spectrum of how to like serve and support our people. You know what I'm saying? The spook that sat by the door. But no, she not, I, I, I'm, she not I'm, that deep into it, like, I'm just, on that side of it. Because she wasn't necessarily, I'm, like, on I'm, the side of the door. She was, like, <laughs> there, like, she was always in the, she was always the rebel rouser now. Like, understood. <laughs> she understood. was never secretively rebel understood, rouser. Understood, understood. But, but when you said just, that, it They let her ass in there. <laughs> she went and no, built. Just, <laughs> she was like, I'm going to build my own. Yeah. I got you. But um, I've learned so much from her. She's mentored me. And um, she's younger than me, but she's mentored mm. me. And um, help bring me into um, doing youth work okay. more formally. Um, I know I drove her plenty crazy because she's been my supervisor okay. before. And um, she really helped like teach me about, you know, how to do youth work properly. Well, mm. Properly is a strange word, but it w- within a way that, you know, is more um, helpful for the, for the young people. Understood. Okay. And then um, there's just so much, but I should just let her speak for herself because I could go on and on and on about how amazing she is. So this is Alea Harvey Quinn. So let's put the sound effects on. (sighs) It's very nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, thank Uh, you for having me. I was taking notes so that I can know what I need to live up to. You good? We we, (laughs) beautiful black women just kicking and vibing. But I I would like to say... Shout out to Lottie because Lottie spoke so highly of you the last time she was here. So it's 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 an honor to be in your presence. Yeah, yes. Lottie is my mentor. Very so shout nice. out, shout out to Lottie. shout out to Lottie. Yeah. So before um uh, we get into the whole thing, I just wanted to start at the top by just tell us a, like about your organization. We'll go back into the organization, but I just want people to like know the name of it and like what it does. Yeah. So Force Detroit is. Super, super exciting. Um, it is uh, a resp- so I was hired as an organizer to do mm-hmm. congregation based organizing um, with uh, an organization called Michigan Faith in Action, and they actually hired me to do like a landscape analysis and kind of come up with a strategy. Okay, and so what I when I came back at them, I said, uh, you know normal congregation organizing might not be the way to go. We need to focus on youth. Can you give give me some imagery personally on that a little bit? So a lot of times um, there are normal stops for uh, political and civic action in our communities, right? The normal stops are large churches. Got you. Nursing homes, right? Block clubs. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a growing sort of uh, dissident population that's not engaged in civic spaces. Okay. And not engaged in really um, in in using civic spaces to fight the issues that matter most to them. Understood. Right. So we we um, we try to take that same energy and engage young people, directly impacted people, returning citizens. In fighting for issues like overcriminalization, 
criminal justice reform and violence reduction um, and to center them as the solutions, also the experts, right? Like they know more because they're so much more impacted. Um, so that's, you know, that's a summation of the work. Towards that, we do, you know, narrative building. Piper and I have been doing narrative building for years, right? Mm -hmm. And Piper really mentored me in terms of teaching me, <laughs> like, the uh, the graphic, lots of lots of graphic tips and tools I learned from Piper and uh, photography mm. and, you know, videography, which I am still a, a babe at. Um, so... So, yeah, we do uh, narrative building. We do our own data work. So we survey our community. Um, wow. <clears throat> yep. Our most recent survey, we surveyed 610 Detroiters about the impact of violence. So how does violence impact where you will or won't spend your money? Will you or won't you call the police? How safe do you feel? Do you feel safe enough to take your kids to an event in Detroit? Um, so we, you know, we, we asked our communities questions like that. What are the causes of violence? Are you able to get a gun? What do you think about gun legislation? All of this stuff. And, um, we, we got, some, we got some really, really striking answers. Mm. Um, we also do direct organizing specifically with millennials and returning citizens. And we're doing coalition building work right now as well. Wow. Yeah. See what I want my to bring brain, on? My brain is like... Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. Yeah. You're putting the power back <clears throat> into the people. Yeah, bless it. That's our goal. Mm -hmm. wow. So I wanted to go... Because um, I want to talk about a whole bunch of stuff with you. So um, let me just start with this part of the question. So... Um, and I want to get into like the survey, like all the results from the survey and everything, but I have like a super pressing question because um, part of your work is um, alternatives, well, redefining safety mm -hmm. and then alternatives to police or like and alternatives to like people calling police. Because like right now, if a grandmother has an issue with her son, um, she's going to call the police, right? So <clears throat> the police... We already know in their training are trained that every single call is a possible, um, what is the word? They threat. So every single call is possible threat. So they come not to serve and not to support, but they come with the intention that they might have to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's how the training is. And so, you know, um, with that, um, just, so I have two questions related to that. So my first question is, because people in the hood per se are so traumatized by the historical violence that, you know, because I don't want to discount, you know, because we have this thing where we say, well, there is no black on black crime. So I don't want to discount people's um, stories about the violence that they actually have um, experienced. Mm -hmm. But because people have, you know, in our city and other cities been so historically traumatized to the point where there's no trust in our communities and people just immediately, first thing, anything happened, call the police. Mm -hmm. So how are you working to help the people in the community think about safety in a, in a, in a different way? You know? Yeah. 
Um, so I guess we are leading these conversations about, you know, how what are the what are the causes of violence, right? How is violence impacting you, right? And then we're working with our partners, right? Partners like Dream of Detroit, who works right on the other side of um, Davidson. And they're they're building black clubs and they're focusing on safety, right? So they're doing um they're doing work around streetlights, right? They're building the connectivity of neighbors. It's it's a really simple thing to be able to call your neighbor and alert them that there's an issue, right? Those are the types of relationships we don't have, right? Because we're so dis- disconnected as a community, right? There are, like I said, we're doing coalition building. So there's, you know, Live in Peace and uh, Pastor Maurice Hardwick and a number of his um, leaders, they do direct violence interruption, right? So like in high stakes situations with gang leaders and hostile situations, Pastor Maurice Hardwick has the, uh, he has the skill set to be, go- to, a- to be able to go in and defuse the, the situation, right? Negus Vu, um, formerly with New Era Detroit, but he started his own organization, The People's Action. Um, we, because I support his work um, at The mm. People's Action in multiple ways, we do great work, right? We do canvassing. Um, we do uh, training um, and, uh, you know, like arms training, defense training for women and children, so uh, each coalition member is the, is attacking the issue in a different way, and sort of we're supporting their work by helping them, you know, infuse research. It's a lot of the Detroit Future Youth model mm-hmm. rethought. Mm-hmm. So then, um, <clears throat> so that was one part of the question. So then the other part of the question is we do have um, many people who are returning citizens, so many people who have let's say like my generation i'm 46 and people that went to um prison and things for um the war on drugs but as we know um once you become inside of that system then you're subjected to all of that system Mm -hmm. and so many of those people have have been systematized if you will for like that time and so when they're coming out they had long sentences like <clears throat> 10 years, you know, like, like five, 10, 15, sometimes 25 years. So when they come in out, you know, they're coming to community, but, um, there is not really that space for them to be, what's the word? I don't want to say debriefed, but I want to say, go through the proper therapy that they would need, um, have the resources that they need to like come back into community. So, to be really blunt, a lot of times there's nothing for them to come back to per se because like they've been gone so long. So like you were just acknowledging they've been disconnected. So the only thing for them to come back to is their mom's house or their grandma house. And so their mom and their grandma now at this point is unable to like um, support them in the ways that they need support. So um, what kind of, but at the same time, some of these people are have issues that are really deep that really need addressing. So being able to deal with their anger, being able to deal with, you know, conflict, not in the ways that they did when they were in that system, because now they're out here. Like, is there, are there 
ways in which because the first thing that people say when we start talking about we don't want police and things like that is people get fearful. Mm-hmm. So like what are the ways in which, you know, like that part in terms of like the support for the for the people who are doing the harming, that's what I'm saying. For the people who were doing the harm, what support is it like for those people so that they can then yeah. begin to shift? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so there are a lot of programs, <clears throat> right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of programs, little known um, underfunded resources that uh, folks can go to. I can share um, a list of some of those programs right, right. after after um, after I leave. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think that's where the policy work comes in. Right, we have to be able to tell our stories. We have to be able to to advocate um, to our legislators that we need more resources. For this, right? Like, we need you to increase the budget line items um, and make support for returning citizens um, widely available, you know. But we also need to, like, reconceptualize how we look at returning citizens, right? Because, you know, when you, when you extract uh, a person from a community, right, you, you create... Um, that is a, a interpersonal violence that uh, the child, that their children suffers, right? That everybody who is connected to them suffers, right? And ang- anger is a logical byproduct of that. So my father was a, a returning citizen, right? Or And he spent 27 years in prison. I'm 36, right? So I spent a great deal of my life going to visit him. He got locked up when I was like, five six ish in that area and um and and then got re-locked up again when I was about eight right and so I spent a great deal of my life going to see him in prison and never understood the way police the police um the officers who were just doing the job their jobs the way they were taught and trying to bring a meal back home to their families right but I never understood how they patted me down, how they treated me so coarsely and so cold, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I never understood why they assumed I was their personal enemy, right? Like, as a child. And as a child, um, you know, I was fairly intelligent. And I took all the nonverbal cues as if the police were the enemy. Like, beyond what everybody was saying in the media, beyond the movies and all this stuff. Your personal encounters. I was like, yes, you all are my particular enemy, right? So I was in a D.A.R.E. program. I felt like a spy. (laughs) Right. I'm like, I'm collecting this information. I'm going to take it back to the squad (laughs) at home because, obviously, you didn't intend this good information for Mm. me or people like me. For us and our well-being. What's the D.A.R.E. program, just for listeners who don't Um, know? The D.A.R.E. program was a program in the early 90s tailored to young people to... um, Snitch. (laughs) (laughs) Teaching them. Well, they they taught you to snitch. Yeah. Yeah. They taught you to snitch. But they also taught you about like... 
you know, drugs and, you know, stuff like that. That information, I was like, oh, okay, I need to know that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the snitching part, I was like, I'm So what was it like? If you heard, heard, heard anything, if you need... See something, say something. Okay. So we all, basically, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that when we are criminalized as a community, right. we all need access to trauma care. Mm-hmm. Like, we all need access to counseling. We need a culture of trauma care. If we're going to undo the impact that mass incarceration, that the war on drugs has done to our community. It's a, do- it's a domino effect. Yeah. And even leaps into genera- generational effects. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with Absolutely. that. Wow. So then, um, so there's that. So then, um, this, is a, this is like, not to, I mean, it's a little bit different question. So um, what do we do about... Like, or maybe you know, maybe don't know, I'm not sure. The um, people who do sexual crimes. Like, what do we do about the people who are, um, I'm, I'm specifically speaking about the population that was convicted of doing the sexual crimes and is actually yeah. listed on a sexual assault, um, a sexual, what is it, sex crimes list, and the ones who are now um, coming back to community because I would, I would, I would say that community is different than necessarily returning citizen community. Um, Mm. I think, you know, well, I think we need a two pronged approach, right? I think we need counselors and other, um, mental health professionals that are trained specifically for that population. Very interesting. Um, with, uh, with cultural, you know, understandings and all of this stuff to to infuse that into their counseling practices. Secondly, we got to look at, we got to really attack our culture um, holistically and ask them why, why is rape so prelevant? Mm. Why, why are um, images of pimps celebrated? Why do we turn our heads at um, the notions of our, we got R. Kelly's, in every family, mm-hmm. in in every school, <clears throat> right? In every community, and in mm-hmm. in each of these places, there's somebody turning their head mm-hmm. who sees this, right? What is it in our community that is um, perpetuating this behavior? What is it that is instilled? Because all culture is taught, right? Mm-hmm. All cur- all culture, all norms are learned, right? And mm-hmm. so it's like we gotta attack that thing. Yeah, I'm, if it's, if I'm it's not like, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Because there's like, you know, not to be like over real, right? But there's like porn that's, that's like, like, you know, stepmom does this, this, and that. Mm. Like, that's like rape. Mm-hmm. Like, your stepmom shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we shouldn't be entertaining that thought. Mm-mm. Right? Mm-mm. Like, or, you know, there's like forced entry. Like, you know, like, so somebody robs you and then that's a porno, mm. right? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is sick stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or or even like, you know, like, um, what's that one movie I hate so much? 
<laughs> I hate these movies, yo. I just cry. Yeah, I can't watch like rape scenes in movies or violent sex. I can't watch no. Stuff. This is this is a whole different <clears throat> thing. What is it like the the mass killing spree? What's the name of that movie? Like Jason or something? No, no, no. It's no. like where everybody can just kill people. Oh yeah. Oh, the, uh, um, the purge. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like we inject these sick thoughts yeah. into so true. into our community. Because they will allow us to make money. Mm. And then somebody mm. somebody goes off in their minds and thinks, like, what if this happened? What if we actually did this? What if, you know what I mean? And it's like the case, uh, I, I, it could be like, is life imitating art or is art imitating? Well, who, do, who gives a heck, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's, like we, it's like we really... Have to attack this. Yeah, like we really it's should be. So true. We should all be really, really super upset that this, you know, that these movies are out here like I this. Know. Like, like we should be taking. We should be up in arms about this stuff. Yeah, we should be up in arms about rape scenes. Right. We should be up in arms about the predominance of pimps as celebratory figures in our communities. Right. We should be. We should be in arms about half of this shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to cut? It's okay. No. There's so much that I how I want to... I don't even know how to say it. But, okay, so I know what you're asking is hypothetical when you say, like, where does this culture start from? And I hate to give the cliche assumption of where I think it starts from. But it's just such a clear path that goes back to our... Even when you go back into, let me just, let me go back. So there's a clear path that goes back into slavery and you can see it. It, it, it like, it's like a direct, a direct train right back to slavery on where some of these condition, these condition things. I just really don't think much has changed in our communities as far as doing the healthy, holistic cleaning you're talking about since very various generations and time frames. The whole, you know, even just the thought of why don't we feel free to speak out? Because we've always felt that if we speak out, we're incriminating our own people. You know, or, you know, we are still under the don't have the understandings that this is not a country that was built for us, even though we yeah. built it. And so are the rules and regulations, we talked about this last week on the podcast, the rules and regulations that we pay by in this American society, are they the same? Should we hold ourselves to these same standards? The chasing of trying to be, to receive that validation from this America. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even when we go to discuss an R. Kelly, you know what I mean? It's like how we discuss it and how we wrap our, our brains around it is... I think should be different. Not to say that he, sh- I'm not saying that we should not hold him accountable, but even how we look at the things that happen in our community, we have to, I think start, we have to look at them differently because they're rooted from the same things that we've had issues with in the fifties and the forties and the thirties and the twenties. Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with you. Holist. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I think that's a slippery slope. Understood. Mm. And I, I think, um, like if you listen to and I I mean I hate to have these conversations, right? <laughs> but if you listen to the argument that a lot of our leading um our leading like Dr. Uh, Boyce. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, I know. Like if you if you listen to the argument that they like okay, so around the 
around the um the Bill Cosby incident, mm-hmm. right? The argument is focusing on the um the the fact that that this sort of media slaughter of Bill Cosby tears down the black male image. No and one then, no, I think that that's an invisible opinion. Like I think that's an invisible world. No one is slaughtering him. So so yeah, the media Well, what I what I what I mean is is I think sometimes think we things that exist we can escalate them. Like I think that if we this instead of saying we're going to concentrate on I think that's the point you're making. Instead of concentrating on the media, we need to concentrate on how do we fix this issue moving forward. Man, if we fix the issue moving forward, then we would fix the media simultaneously. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> So okay. yeah, it's a slippery slope, right? Understood. It's yeah. not it's not straight and narrow path. It's not simplistic, and I just think there's some indicators. The only thing, I, it's just things that go back that can be traced. That it, and that doesn't make it easily fixed. That just because you, I can still see it. And I mean, and and it, you know, like it, the other reason it's a slippery slope is because nobody meets. Nobody is introduced to violence as a perpetrator. Understood. Mm. You know, and so it's like, and that that's not mine. That was somebody's deep Facebook quote. Mm. That's, I'm with you. <laughs> but I understand. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it's like, um, we have nobody is introduced to violence as a perpetrator, but we have to choose better for ourselves. Understood. Mm-hmm. And if we can choose a balanced budget mm-hmm. after years of, you know, spending our money lawfully as teenagers and winding up broke and trying to figure out what happened, if we can mature in, you know, these ways, then we can mature in other ways. Understood. I yeah. agree with that. Wow. So, Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about the survey because the survey um, was really powerful and you guys did a whole event to reveal the results of the survey and it was six months you worked on it? Yeah, we did. It was like six months and then you did what, like, was it a neighborhood or was it just kind of open? Yeah, we did Detroit openly. Um, We had beautiful partners shout out to to everybody that you know shared the survey everybody that took the survey everybody that um shared the survey with their constituents mm-hmm. um yeah so tell us about the questions again and the survey results because i feel like the information that you um all have what what you shared, you know, at the event, I feel like the information that you all have shared is something that um, needs to be shared a little bit more widely. Yeah, so we surveyed 610 Detroiters about the impact of um, violence in Detroit and how safe they feel. Do you feel safe in Detroit? Do you feel safe in your home? Um, would you take your children to a public event in Detroit? Would you spend money in your neighborhood? Do you feel like the recent developments in Detroit and in your neighborhood have gone, um, have made your neighborhood safer? Would you call the police if, um, if in need? Right? Questions mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. None of these questions ranked above on a liking scale, scale of one to ten. 
one being, you know, absolutely no, and 10 being absolutely yes, mm-hmm. none of these questions got to halfway. Mm. Um, and then we had another section where we asked people, well, what do you think the causes of violence are in the city? Mm-hmm. You know, why why are people committing violence? Like, what what's happening? Mm. Um, and then we asked for solutions. Mm-hmm. And then we asked for sentiments about uh, gun legislation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, are, do you support, um, you know, open carry in public spaces? Um, if this um, were passed, would you be able to, you know, legally carry a gun, right? Because um, many of our returning citizens cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then we cross-tabulated all of these responses with demographic information mm. and um, income information. So what do you, like, in terms of, like, if you had to give a summary around the um, results, like, what would you what would you say that you could share? Yeah, one of the most striking results was that um, people, even across racial uh, divides, saw poverty, um, you know, what, well, that was another question we asked, what the connection between violence and poverty mm, was. Great question. But um, they saw the cause of violence in the same way, right? Like young people, if you were under age 17 and younger, they they responded over 50% of that um, constituency said drugs and alcohol use hmm. were the cause of violence. Mm. Which makes total sense to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like as a 36-year-old, in my world, mm-hmm. lean is a body position. Mm. It's not a drug. Right. Right? Like, right. if there is some leaning happening, mm-hmm. it is against a wall. Right. Or a piece of furniture. Right. Or something like that. But our young people are living in a total different world than what we grew up in. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then um, millennials, so the age bracket from like 18 to uh, right under me because I don't want to opt into <laughs> so like 35, mm-hmm. um, 18, I guess 36, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that age bracket said poverty. Mm. And that's amazing because uh, that res- that corresponds to uh, the Annie E. Casey Foundation study that found one in three millennials in Detroit was neither working nor in school. They didn't have a job, weren't trying to get a job, and weren't connected to a formal source of income. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and so, of course, poverty is the reason why you're experiencing violence, right? Mm. You're trying to solve this problem in your world, mm. right? And then everybody else, like all us old heads, um, as soon as you turned, like, <laughs> 36 and over, mm-hmm. everybody, and all, so that, that, uh, you know, category was broken up into several chunks. You mm. know, you had 36 to 45, 46 to 55, like all of these. But all those groups came together to say that the primary cause of violence was an inability to, to, uh, to uh, dis- you know, talk your way out of conflict. Mm. And, and while neither, none of these causes sort of like, 
Like, it is possible for uh, you to be using drugs and or somebody to be using or drunk, right? And to have and to be drunk and poor mm-hmm. and to have perpetuated violence that he couldn't he or she couldn't talk themselves out of. Mm-hmm. So all of these answers could Intertwine. yeah, all of these exa- answers could exist simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating that like these populations um are living in sort of different realities gotcha. and that showed up mm-hmm. in the survey in that way. Very interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting too, just um working having having um worked in the schools more recently, the high schools, um, I have found myself an advocate for youth. I found myself as an ally and an advocate for youth, having been in those meetings with administrators and teachers and things who are blaming violence in the schools on the youth with them not being able to talk things out. And it's like trying to have the conversation with them around these are not circumstances in which you can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And we are not, and we are not focused on the issues Mm -hmm. to where we can actually support young people. You can't ask a young person who and this is real i mean i'm i'm i mean uh i'm going to give you actual circumstances <clears throat> in my 111th grade class that's what like 16 16 17 you've got one young person whose parent has them stripping with her so that she could quote unquote keep an eye on her and keep her safe so this young lady's coming to school and falling asleep in her first period class and or coming late or not being able to focus, pay attention. Um, obviously with a lot of young people, if uh, that are in our schools, many of them do not live with their parents. Many, they, I think the statistic is around is 70% of them are not living with their parents. They live. What? Yeah. In, in, in Detroit public schools, the, it's like around 70% don't live with their parents. They live with like, a grandparent, an aunt, a guardian, or an institution. And so, um, or homeless. And it's a huge homeless population. So um, this notion that is ascribed to children, I'm talking about on our larger American cultural narrative that, you know, when you see these movies like Charmed and all this crap. Well, not Charmed. What's the other one? The like the little high school movies mm-hmm. where it's like the, the, the 90210 or whatever and they go home and there's like a mom and a dad and they have to eat their vegetables and go to sleep and brush their teeth. Like many of our young people just don't have that sort of foundational structure where they're, you know, where there's people there that are, you know, able to even be there all the time, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking about impoverished homes. So people are struggling to get these bills paid. They might be working several jobs. They might be having to be watched by an older person. So there's all these different like transient people in these young people's lives as, in, in the form of like where, as, as opposed to um, a stability where like kids go home and it's mommy and daddy and then they eat their, their, their dinner and then they go to sleep. Many of these young people just have transient situations, and then this even the situations that they're in that are more stable they just, they have transient people mm-hmm. and so it's very difficult to 
have any form to build trust, to build um, what we would call healthy, holistic, you know, stable people. And so now you bring them, you bring them into the school situation that has now created more rules for criminalization and more um, ways in which they have to adhere to like these certain standards, like a uniform, mm-hmm. right? Like their uniform being clean or them wearing the same uniform or mm-hmm. them being prepared or da, 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 da. Like it's just, it's just really interesting, you know, when adults are freaking confused as to why kids don't have the tools to be able to deal with conflict. Mm-hmm. Because you have all this other stuff going on, not to mm-hmm. mention that, in, and I'm only talking about high school and Detroit Public High School, they have compiled that with one counselor in the whole freaking school. Right. For like yeah. 2,500 kids or two counselors for like 2,500 kids. And so kids are telling me, well, when you go to the counselor, basically she don't have no time to talk to you. So all she wants you to do is just sign a paper and admit you did something wrong so you can get, hurry up and get suspended. So there's already like a practice of like, prison Mm -hmm. industrial complex or like criminalization in addition to them going through the metal detectors in addition to them being criminalized in addition to all -hmm. the other things so i just find it really interesting when adults say that just triggers me so tough when adults say things like if people would just talk they could figure things out yes that's spoken (laughs) from a very privileged point that doesn't take into consideration the real conditions in which people are living hundred percent. Yeah, it doesn't even take into consideration the the biological fact that our young people literally don't have the the capacity <laughs> uh, biologically to de-escalate and mm, to, you know what mm-hmm, I mean. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the the most uh, sort of like calm, rational, anti-adrenaline part of your mind is formed after age twenty five. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. So then now uh, we're saying, oh, well, if you guys would just learn how to talk, it's like, first of all, when you're in those school environments, and I'm only talking about public school, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to express yourself. You're not allowed to think. So they don't even have spaces where they can express themselves and think and talk. Right. Yeah. Do you think a por- there's a portion of our young people that don't understand what conflict is like they they're arguing and they don't even realize that it that it's technically conflict? No, I don't believe that. I believe that they know it's conflict. I just believe that that's the way that things are done. Understood. And there is no it's other the norm- alternative. It's the normacy. Got you. That's been presented is you have to present like Alea was talking about. You have to present alternatives. So like, let's say. If you, I'm going to give a really mundane example. Mm -hmm. If you have only known um, fried chicken and collard greens, you know what I'm saying, with mashed potatoes, and then someone comes and they're like, you know, chicken masala or something, tiki masala, it's like, I'm not about to eat that. You know what I'm saying? So, but it it takes, you know what I'm saying, like, um, trust. Like they're like the, like the, even when you were talking about like your programs around building, one by ones in the neighborhood, our, the trust in our neighborhood is pretty much destroyed. So yeah. that's all we've got to get built back up because we went through the war on drugs in the 80s and 90s where that trust was actually destroyed. Mm-hmm. So you had before, like, you know how we say, like, um, 
before crack and after crack. Yeah. So like before crack, the gangsters or whatever you want to call this, let's say um, the um, neighborhood um, community uh, developers. <laughs> no, just but <laughs> but um, <clears throat> you know. So back in the days, like it was more like um, you, you people, everyone knew, and you knew that you were ascribing to a certain lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a thing like, okay, well, if I'm a, a pimp, a drug dealer, prostitute, I'm in the streets, I'm gambling, blah, 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 blah. this is my choice. So even even my mom will tell you, or even when I was a kid, if you walked down the street, if you tried to go over there and like be with them, they'd be like, you don't belong over here. You go back over there, like you don't even belong here. They wouldn't even let you be around. So when stuff would go down, they would make sure that they were doing their thing mm-hmm. like amongst themselves like a street code type thing. there's a street code mm-hmm. so then after crack because yeah. that was the militarization that was the influx of like the sandinistas they're getting tactics from the cia they're being armed with military weapons and training from you know paramilitary from you know south america right mm-hmm. and um and and these sort of tactics of like you know, we like, there's no rules. So, you know, grandma's fair game, children are fair game. And like that never was done in our community. If before disrespect that. is disrespect. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. everyone was catching it. Like they would literally drive down the street and shoot up the whole street because they just didn't know which house the person lived in. Oh, you yeah. understand what I'm saying? A whole people and people. So they would do stuff like this. Right. And so with that, um, you know, they were using um young people as mules, you know, um little kids were like selling drugs and making lots of money. Grandma was giving blowjobs. So like all of the and you know, she's mm. giving blowjobs to like your friends at school, then your friends at school are coming like, "Yeah, I'm coming over to your house tonight and be your stepdad because your grandma going to give me a blowjob and you better have my money." You understand what I'm saying? So this is this is what is this is what has caused such a level of disrespect. Also, you compile that with all the other things that were going on with the destruction of the families and the family structure to where the crack was already tearing people apart where they're addicted and they're selling their kids or leaving their kids or, you know, um, the disruption. Right. And so you bring in, you know, uh, all the other things that you, that, that would surround that all the underworld activities that was, that would support and surround that. And now we're what, like 30 years or 25 to 30 years, like past that, that period. Right. But think about it. All those people have got to be like 30, 40 years old by now. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And then their kids are like in their 30s and 20s, right? And so you have whole generations that was born addicted to crack. You have whole generations that don't know life before crack. And so for all, and then you, like Alea was spoke to the movies and the films and the music, which is the reinforcement of it, which mm-hmm. is the marketing messages. And it's not to blame the art, but it's to say it's definitely a strong tool to like keep that culture going and perpetuate it. So yeah. now we're in a space where every all these freaking adults get on my nerve because they're all trying to figure out like where it all went wrong. And I'm like, how is that a question? How is that a question? You was here watching it go down, probably participating. How can you ask this question? How can you over here when you live this whole other life have this expectation of these young people and the people are coming after you if you don't step in and if you don't do something to like intervene anywhere and there to like help people 
But because of all of that, and like we talked about, you know, people hiding in um in 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 like bigger in like uh, institutions like churches and things. Mm. So a lot of the adults escape. You know what I'm saying? To to go into the church to start praying all the time, like that's going to protect them from from what's going on in the streets. So they're not in the neighborhoods like meeting kids or making food for other kids, or they're not. In the neighborhoods, they're afraid of everybody, so nobody wants to talk to each other because they got these no snitching programs, and, and nobody, everyone's afraid of everybody. Everyone's afraid they're going to get set up. So we've just so the importance of what you're doing is just really you need more funding. How about that, man? We, we need to wow. make sure you get On some funding. The okay, so <laughs> <laughs> we wow. need to get you some funding so you can expand. Yeah, I. I mean, I I definitely agree that I need more funding, and but I think that, yeah. Okay, I, I, I got a question about your perspective of active black clubs mm-hmm. that work the way that they're intended to work, mm-hmm. and they've been in existence for a while. Can you just talk about it a little bit? What it involves? What it looks like? Oh. Even shout out the neighborhood. So I'm learning a lot. There are some really, really strong black clubs in Cody Rouge. Okay. Um, there are some strong black clubs in the North End. Mm. Um, and, and so my learning curve is great around that. Dream of Detroit um, is doing some some good work with black clubs. Um, <clears throat> I think in its sort of minimalistic capacity, so at its height, right, like when you – when you study, you know, movement work, mm-hmm. uh, there was, I'm about to botch this history. <laughs> nah, you not. Thing. This is good. I'm So like, uh, in Chicago, there was the great fire, okay. right? And folks died because they, they didn't, you know, they didn't know their neighbors. And then from there, they created phone trees. Okay. Where they could call. And um, sort of like, you know, warn people, like, you know, evacuate or, you know, something's happening. And and that stopped a lot of tragedies, mm. right? But I, you know, I hesitate to say anything more for, um, for botching the history. So that's like, you know, that's like a macroscopic, you know, that's like a huge way we fail, right? Like a simple human touch can prevent so much stuff, right? And then we don't know each other. And we have these fears and these assumptions about each other. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm bouncing around in my truck to trap music. <laughs> 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 don't take it seriously. Still speak to me, mm. you know? Um, but we have these assumptions about the other and who is the other in our community? Everybody. Oh, my God. That's such a good point. Yes. Yeah. And so we have to speak to each other. And we have to give people a chance. Mm-hmm. And we have to get to know each other. Mm. You know? And, and um, yeah, because when when your neighbor, you know, when your neighbor falls, right, or there's an elderly person in the house that needs medicine, it's it's actually a little bit more functional to call the neighbor than it might be to call their child who lives in the suburbs, right? Yes. Um, or, you know, like I'm going to go get groceries 
can I pick you up something? You know what I mean? Those, these are skills that are just completely lost, right? Before we even get to saying, let's meet at 5 p.m. every right. every month. Right. That's before we get to, to saying. So now Sarita, uh, Sarita mm-hmm. Scott, who runs uh, See That, okay. she, and, and she's doing some civic engagement work, and she's one of our partners. Okay. And she she is the person who would better be able to answer that question. But I'm with you though, full throttle that there 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 are existing block clubs that are doing good things in in particular communities. But let's start let's let's start the step before that. Yeah, I think um, my work looks more like there are like like our babies, um, particularly our young men. They have such a need to prove. Um, and to demonstrate, to have outlets for their uh, their masculinity, right? Like I protected something. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, like I, I, I used my bravado to, <laughs> you know, care for mm-hmm. and or or to protect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's it's like, how do we take that energy and and use it in a positive way, right? How do we take that energy and say like like you're the person who's caring for this block, man. So while y'all are out here playing basketball, don't let nobody break in, you know, Sister Mary's house. Don't let, you know, this child over here who mm. you, you know, don't make sure that they stay in their yard, right? Like like y'all are the stewards of this community. So what is what does it look like for um, us to not like be upset when we see like I, <laughs> I love when I ride down the street and I see these young men playing in the middle of the street, right? On telephone mm-hmm. poles. It means they feel safe, right? To crates. do so, yeah. It's still they, playing basketball and then they move out the way when the car. Yeah, comes. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so what does it look like to instead of roll our eyes at them and be upset that they that we had to break a little bit mm. to instead be heartened that they're there and to feel like. And actually have them be the people who are watching out for you. And maybe drive, passing them by and then coming back with a couple of water bottles. Right. And, and, and so then, you know, in turn, you know, these young men, we're, we're providing them with jobs. Mm. We're providing them with, you know, outlets and resources mm. and, you know, and they're protecting us. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I, I love think, that. I love that critical thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's more like what my skill set is. I think it's a, it's it's much needed. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. And I would say um, that's interesting that um, a lot of more, and it's, it's interesting because uh, you would think that a lot more people would think to do things like that, you know? Because even when when we had the space at Five E, like that was part of the strategy too. Is yep. We had a lot of those young people were taking care of the space. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the surrounding neighbors helped take care of the space. A lot of the homeless helped mm-hmm. us take care of the space. And we paid people and we did things for people and we helped people. And then in turn, you're building this community. Yep. So You're a piece of this. Yeah, you have stake in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really... So what are the... What, you would, what, what, what would you say are the gaps in the work? Like where... Does more support need to be put? Yeah, there are so many gaps in the work. Mm. First of all, um, this is all like 
this is all like a mindset, right? Like so when you when you do work this way, you're trying to build a whole different synapse path <laughs> for process and how we engage each other, how we uh, think about resources, how we think about using our resources, who we think about investing in, all of this stuff, right? And so like the gaps are that, um, you know, hugely, right? That when, you know, I that when we approach the work this way, we are such like unicorns in nature that we have to, um, like we have to give people a whole orientation process to like, no, I don't want anything from you. No, I'm not trying to, no, this is not a, no, yes, this is for real. Like, can you, can you just spend your time (laughs) allowing me to invest in you? Right. But people are so hesitant that like there's something like, you know, the wool is going to be pulled out of there. Somehow they're going to be used and taken advantage of. Like, what's the real end game? It's like, no, my job is to support community and I'm just trying to do that through you. Um, So like so that's like a huge gap. Right. Yeah. Another gap is. Here we go with this. (laughs) Um, we need to resource black organizing. Yes. So this is a this is a city that is eighty percent black. Speak. Still eighty percent black, and our culture of organizing does not reflect our culture of community. Mm-hmm. There's a gap there. Let me tell you this story. Huge gap. Look. I used to I used to do some really stupid, dumb, dope work. And um it was <laughs> like like uh shout out to Vince, um, Invincible. Uh out. we 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 built this um this network called Detroit Future Youth. Okay. And it was like artsy and media and investing in young people and putting doc- dollars in young people's pockets and we can build something different and exploratory and all this stuff, all this beautiful stuff. And I would come home to my husband right now. Now, we we was regular hood folks. We was good old home, regular hood folks, right? Mm-hmm. And I would come home and I would use words like awesome. And my husband would stop me, honey. He would be like, ain't shit. Listen, honey, you home. Now, I, I understand you got to do what you got to do funny. for work and be who you got to be at work. But you home, ain't shit awesome around here. Let's look out our window. <laughs> our people fucked Girl, up. Girl, that is so real. Oh, my God. I'm with it. Yeah. So he would say, like, our people are fucked up. Everything about how our community operates on a routine basis is fucked up. And don't forget why you hugging them trees and, you know, buying them $4 forks. that are biodegradable don't forget how bad we're hurting over here that's real and so when you come back home you come back home and you blend in and so i created a culture of um you know going to work and being one person and then coming home and being regular and being with my people and then um my father got home from prison and bust me out (laughs) (laughs) 
He would be like, we would be in a meeting straight up. I would be being my work self, my best worst self, my best awesome work self. He'd be like, she ain't like that at home. That ain't, that ain't for real. That ain't her. She, <laughs> she from, so he busts me out. And so then <laughs> I was like, well, I might as well be myself, right? And then in being yourself, uh, when you organized, yeah. which was a super challenge because I really didn't think a paycheck was associated with being my real self, right? And I was like, hold on, we got to keep this be- these bills paid, right? Um, but in 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 doing this work, like we gotta we we gotta be our cultural selves, and we can't get so far. Like you know, uh, we burn the sage, we uh, align our chakras, we we do the self healing work. We can't get so far above or outside of our community that we can't come back to our community and build and resonate and feel and connect. Mm-hmm. We got to feel at home on Finkel and Wyoming while we're building with our people. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and so and our, real. And our strategies have to align with Finkel and Wyoming. And our language has to align with you know, Finkel and Wyoming. And 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 those that has to be our people. And that's um that's like a critical gap, right? Like Detroit, there is some like super dope, super mega dope work happening in Detroit. But um we don't do turnout well. And we don't do turnout well because our culture of organizing doesn't look like our city. Also too, I feel like um for me personally, I'm gonna just speak about the uh the I'm a, I'm gonna stick with like the youth organizers part right because there's so much organizing we're all involved in I'm gonna just talk about the youth part I find that um there's like these different philosophies around the 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 way the work is carried out because like in the spaces where my, Alea and myself work together mm-hmm. um that was more like coming from what I would say like a very unapologetically leftist um framework. Right. So like grassroots and well, not that the other stuff is in grassroots, but like I'm gonna say leftist. So then you've got the sort of like um I wanna say like more historically typical sort mm-hmm. of youth work, which is like these basketball leagues and the cheer teams and the um Cow football girl scouts and mm-hmm. these kind of things that came where they're where people are in spaces like 4-H club and the Y, or they might be in a church or they might be in these sort of more, you know, what I would call like an institution. Mm-hmm. And it, and then you've got um, these other sort of like youth spaces where it's like the indoctrination into the spaces that like I'm saving you mm-hmm. from being with your people. So it's like this sort of academic yeah. excellence type of consciousness which like grooms them to like be like the one Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna be the one i'm gonna be different than everyone else i'm gonna be that one i'm gonna get out the hood i'm gonna get out and then you've got this whole other level of programming which is like um the like well how do i put this when people have made a decision that they're working with so-called bad kids, what that what they would what they would mm. qualify as bad kids. So there's all this stuff that's like around deterring them from doing quote unquote bad things. Mm-hmm. And I guess like more 
the way of um that I work and like Alea works and like what I hear you talking about is this sort of approach where it's like everyone is brilliant. So we don't want to separate the people who might be stronger in this or that, like iron sharpens iron and we have to be stronger together. Everyone has ability to be a so-called bad kid. Mm-hmm. Even the so-called kid that's like super right. smart. Right. <laughs> you right. Know, everyone is having issues. You know what I'm saying? Like um, adjusting or at home or whatever. So like, how do we integrate it? You know what I'm saying? So what I hear you talking about um, and knowing from, you know, working with you is this whole, like, how do we help other people that might be leading you for who might be in these other more formalized situations where they're sort of like, their work is sort of separate according to so-called what kind of population they work with. Whereas like your work isn't like, well, I'm working with this particular population. The population is the people. Mm. Yeah. And it's like trying to bring the best out of the entire population. And then also working to have everybody be, you know, intergenerationally in that space. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like drawing more people into um, supporting, you know, the work. No, I'm just using you, the youth space yeah. to give that example, but Understood. it shows up all kind of ways throughout the work. So. And yeah. I could be going off a little off topic, but like, I just think back, I think I'm thinking of my personal life and like how the older I become, I start to realize the amount of gym social justice work that is done here in the city of Detroit. Like basketball, football. No, I'm yeah. talking about the stuff that you guys are doing. Like you, you guys oh, right oh, now. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how I think my friend group, there's so, I, I can only speak for my friend group. There's so many m- misperceived notions about social justice work. I think mm. my friends think that because they didn't go to an Afrocentric, Afrocentric school or because their parents weren't pro-black, that it's too much of a, it's this, this conscious world that we have to be in in order to do this work. Hmm. Hmm. I think a lot of people think like that in the black community, that it, hmm. because they don't know who Frederick Douglass is and they don't know who Marcus Garvey was and what his intentions were, that it's too far-fetched for them to even jump into. That's interesting. Because a lot of people don't know who... Anybody is, and they're in the church doing the work. <laughs> I think it goes back know, to what so. you guys are saying. Like, <laughs> even on the other end of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. That mm-hmm. the other end of it is, is that you guys are doing this great work and they love it. They put you on this like, oh my God, I'm so glad she's doing that. But I can't do that because mm. I still listen to Chief Keith or so I, does I, I still, I still, <laughs> I, but do you you guys have to know that that exists that they don't that that they familiarize themselves with black culture black history they love insecure they love blackish they love uh their auntie who wears dashikis they celebrate kwanzaa they go to the african-american museum they attend church services but they can't necessarily see themselves in an organization because they feel like they're not as engrossed as they should be and the, and that's the thing it's not about being an organization but so, so I got when well, I say organization and part of the community. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, let me yeah, use my yeah, words. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I got, I, so I got a bunch of uh, thoughts to that, and I think I think the main one is that that is the mindset thing that I was talking about. Hundred uh, percent agree. Yeah, it was like it's like the 
Like if you just show up as yourself, you're powerful. I 100% agree with that. Most people are slow to get with that thought. Right. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, like, so yeah, there's one end where you can't think that your, your work defines who you are. The social justice work, it doesn't define who you are. But in a sense, it does. You have to find that balance. And on the other end, what you know doesn't define who you are. You can be a part of the community as well. You know what I mean? But there's so much work. Yeah. It's enough for everybody. Mm -hmm. And to play that role. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I think, you know, instead of, I think one of the major pitfalls of organizing is that we ask people to come to us instead of coming to them. I 100% right. agree. And so, like, the culture mm. of that is successful, I think, looks more like, you know, something that, like, the most powerful work that I did, you know, shout out to Lottie Spady. Shout out, Lottie. <laughs> was like you know we were doing you know reflective work um we were journaling yeah the most like powerful work was it happened while we were cooking in the kitchen beautiful we i mean it was not like it was very intentionally planned understood right like it was very intentionally scripted out in its action, it didn't feel that way. Mm. It was a conversation over a a cooked meal together, over, you know, a journaled exercise. We were all singing, you know, old school Mary J. Blige at the top of our lungs. I'm with you. And talking about, like, why does this song resonate? Mm. And then you attach that to policy. Mm. You know what I mean? So it happens without, hopefully, you this know. This is a, this is, come yeah. Uh, not yes. yeah, I got you. <laughs> so, and also too, like I think mm, okay. just speaking to that identity piece. I mean, I had that. I mean, I didn't know I was an activist my entire life. Girl, because to me, activism was Martin Luther King and Harriet Tubman, and I didn't think that any of the stuff that I was doing I mean, I didn't connect myself because I didn't think that I was good enough or I didn't think I was holy enough or I didn't think I was smart enough or read enough books or articles or had the language or had the PhD and da 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 But it's not about that. Like, more and more you start doing this work. Now, I'm not saying, like, stay ignorant. I would never say that. But I'm just saying the more and more you start doing this work, the more and more you see that it's really just about connecting, like, you were saying and like learning understood it's just connecting and learning and then making a commitment to do so like there's no way that we could say that we know all the people you know how people in detroit act understood we make generalizations i agree but there are so many different types of people in detroit and that's Mm -hmm. why i think that survey like yeah. was so powerful because you know what I mean? Like you're dealing with raw data. And I think that that's something that like people, you know, there are people who like statistics and people who don't, but it's not about the statistic it's how you use it. Yeah. It's also about who interprets it. Right. Agreed. Like, yes, yes. Yes. Like yes. we can, you know, we can all look at, we, when you look at a neighborhood, and taking information from your neighborhood, from your people, right? Yeah. From your community. And then you're the one who analyzes it. 
you analyze it with a depth of insight, but also bias. That you got to be real about that bias, but you analyze it with a depth of insight that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Understood. And so it's it's like you know one of the questions that I you know posit to to researchers who don't then come back and ask people who participated in their survey to interpret the results is how do you know what you're looking at? Right. Like like how do you know what the numbers mean? Right. Like you could you could literally have one grandma in one neighborhood that's stopping the beef between warring gang tribes because their her grandsons are on either side of the fence. Mm. And when she dies, that connection dies. Mm. You would need organizing to go in and talk to their mamas and bridge the gap between their mamas who might be working and busy mm-hmm. um, to continue that peace, right? That's, yeah. you know, but you don't know that unless you go talk to the people, unless you organize, unless you know what you're looking at, unless you're from that community. So wow. now you said you guys are doing trainings or? Um, yes. You are doing trainings. Yeah. What kind of trainings are you doing? Right now, well, we done a number of organizing trainings um we do we're basically right now we're in a phase of relationship okay mm-hmm. so we did a survey mm-hmm. and we are modeling the uh we're modeling what we want to see we're asking people like what does this mean Mm. So right now, um, one of the most interesting uh, nuances to our data is that the um, young people Mm -hmm. in some of the most dangerous neighborhoods, so statistically the most vulnerable population in the city, felt the safest. In turn, when you say feel the safest, like how does that, what do you mean feel the safest? And that's that's the question. Okay. They said that they felt the safest. On a scale of one to ten, eight. Nine, sevens, tens. In a neighborhood where shoot, yo, you live in the red zone. Can you please score a little lower? Can you act like you know that you walk back and forth to school that, in the red zone? That's what I kind of meant when I asked the question, like, do you think that there is a group of people who don't necessarily recognize conflict as we recognize it? Like, they're submerged in it, and that is their environment, and because they're submerged in it, it doesn't bother them. It's just life. Yeah. I'm good. I know I know how not to walk down this street at 3 p.m. because they be over there. So if I go an hour earlier, I'm good. If I go get grandma's groceries at 9 versus 3, then I won't have to run it. You know what I mean? They're living within this system that is nothing but conflict. Yeah, I think there may be some of that, but I don't I don't know. Understood. Right? Understood. It could it, it could also be Understood. like Yo, we're the people robbing folks. Yeah. You know what I mean? We can't be afraid of ourselves. Or or it could be um or it could be a sense of like youthful invincibility. Mm, right? Like I don't I don't feel fear, you know, um because you know, I'm young, I'm strong, yeah. my energy is high. I can run fast, my muscle gain, you Back know. Back to like what out. you said about the grandma having uh two grandsons on the opposite side we don't know you have to go back into the community to say what i get you yeah Mm -hmm. i'm with you so then um on the because i'm super interested in this training and like where people can get this training because we need people trained 
I need to be trained for sure. Yeah. Um. So I'll let you know when we have them. Right, right now, we're doing a lot of work around coalition work. We're, okay. we're trying to figure out. So it's a, it's, it's, that's vital. Yeah. Yeah. There are some really good groups out here doing some really awesome work. Mm-hmm. And they're not receiving the support. And they're not receiving the help. Mm. They're not receiving the infrastructural resources that other nonprofits benefit from. Mm. Um, you know, our, our hope is to support um, a lot of that work. Right. Okay. Shout out to Mama Shoshana. She brought you up today, Piper. I talked to her mm-hmm. and she she said that you were a beautiful spirit. Mm. But shout out to her because she's doing a lot of work. Her son um, was killed in the Brightmore community. Mm. So she has a nonprofit organization in the Brightmore community at Crowell. Mm-hmm. And she's in the midst of uh, writing grants, trying to get funding for her her program. What's the name of it? Heritage Academy, and I can get and uh, again that may be a little bit off, but I know Heritage is is the is the forefront of her uh, her organization. But I only bring that up to say, like, yeah, she's you know what I mean. She's in a very very she's in a as you would put it red zone community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So and you know who of, she is? Who yeah. is she? She's the sister of um, Baba Chokwe Lumumba. Okay, rest in peace. Oh, okay. Ashe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ashe. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So, that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there are the people that are, there are people that are closest to the pain, mm. that know this grandma. Yeah. That know these aunties, that can navigate, that have the relational skills that some of our trained, you know, violence disruptors, right? They yeah. might not have, yeah. right? Like, they might intend well, but might not have that skill. Understood. Right? Yeah. Um, or they might feel like, you and, and a lot of them, you know, I mean, so many different dynamics with the police. But I will say that one of the nuanced things that the Detroit police um, have done have been the implementation of the community police officers. And what, what's your thoughts on that? So That program. So adults especially adults who are active in community have access to these officers and they feel a lot more comfortable with police. Our young people are still terrorized by the police. So like literally there's sort of like this age gap that if you present yourself as an older, more refined man, you're less likely to get caught up in driving while black. You're in the within the city of Detroit, right? Like, you're less likely to be targeted for your blackness, particularly your black and maleness, right? But our young people are still going through it. And so that creates a divide because, you know, our elders, some some of them still want to feel safe from our young people. Mm-hmm. And you know? also, too— So that's about relationship. That is a community oh, I have another question. The police department has the young cadets. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed in like Cast Tech and all these different high schools, okay. you prep like all the, the police cadet program is like really, really one of the most popular programs where like a lot of youth are involved. Mm-hmm. in like um being trained to be police officers mm-hmm. and i've noticed that in a lot of the schools um where 
much of the programming has been removed. Yeah. There was arts and sports mm-hmm. and all, you know, other types of things. A lot of that programming has literally disappeared. Mm-hmm. But one of the strongest programs in all the schools is a police cadet mm-hmm. program. And um, I know youth that are in the program. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because when you ask them um, why they're in the program or what they love about the program, they'll tell you that they give you candy. Piper, stop. I, I can't make this up. Mm-hmm. They tell me that they like mm-hmm. it because it's fun because they give you candy and they go on trips. So they get to go on trips to Quicken Loans and see and jobs like um, be presented with like different jobs. They get to go on trips to like Cedar Point in the summer. They get to they give them, you know, there's all these incentives is what I'm saying. And I just find that super interesting that like in the midst of everything else, uh, career wise, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. being shut down in terms of like pathways. The one that's like growing and the strongest is this police cadet program. Yeah. That's in the schools for the youth. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. I don't. You're giving me new information. Okay. 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 Yeah. This is <laughs> new giving information. information. <laughs> like, take some notes. Go do some research. Okay. 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 Gotcha. 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 Okay. Yeah. So then with that, um, I'm a little bit more interested in the community policing because I have another friend that I went to high school with and he is um, what they call an NPO neighborhood police officer. And they have, that's a separate or yeah, it's a separate division where um, they actually are assigned to a neighborhood mm-hmm. There's only two per neighborhood, which is really terrible, but there's only two per neighborhood. And so um, they're supposed to be the ones that are doing like the public relations, the community relations, like relating to the schools and the youth and the families and Mm -hmm. what I would call all the so-called fun stuff where, you know, when you're little and they show you the little, that coloring book about how great the police are. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they're that division that gets to be like that guy. But it's interesting because, like, I've been to community meetings, and I'm sure you have too, and I've asked these questions like, okay, because, you know, when you go to the community meetings, they're in the precinct, which is already inaccessible, Um, and then they go through all this crime data, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if a meeting is an hour or hour and a half or two hours, Mm -hmm. like, 85% of that meeting is going through this crime data. Mm -hmm. About 5% of the meeting is updates from all the elders on how much money they sold in the bake sale. <laughs> and like probably like 1% of the meeting is like, okay, community, what do you have to say? So I'm always the one that like steps up in those meetings to say something. <laughs> and I'm always asking the question like, we just went through being oppressed with all of this crime data and you've just shown us that this whole demographic of like 16 to 25 is the demographic that you're claiming is giving you the so-called most trouble. However, what other programs or things are available to that demographic that you offer? Like, and it's interesting, they'll always be like, well, we have basketball for like middle schoolers in the summer for like two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that was cute. But like, 
this demographic needs, like you were talking about, Alea. Mm-hmm. What are, what type of economic resources are there for them to like have job training, skills training, um, entrepreneurship training? Um, you know, for them to get involved with things that are going on, you know, in the community, for them to, you know, step into their leadership. And it's like, everyone's looking at me like I got two heads. You know what I'm saying? And this is something where you're doing that particular work in particular. So I wanted you to speak a little bit more to that because that right there is fruit. That is food right there. Yeah. So that's exactly what we, that's exactly our platform pipe. You like picked it out of the ethers and plucked it for this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly our platform. Like the, our advocacy work at this point is, uh, is about how can we figure out ways to create structural change to where if a person like, if a person is still in the toilet in a rehab home, we look at them like that that, that is a cry for help. Mm-hmm. They are trying to provide for their family or meet their own basic needs mm-hmm. as opposed to that this is serious criminal behavior and, um, you know, malicious intent, mm-hmm. right? And then giving that person prison time and doing further harm to him or his community or, you know, her. Um, so, so like, yeah, that's, that's the work. Like, mm-hmm. um, that's the crux of the work, right? Like, it's, um, how can we get at the root cause of, um, of violence, of, mm. you know, why Detroit is less free and less safe. Mm-hmm. So, like, we believe Detroit will be freer and safer if, you know, our city, if our community resources invest in long-term, chronically impoverished Detroiters. Mm particularly with diversion programs and things like that that allow for sort of economic stability and the infusion of actual resources into people's pockets. Resources and skill sets, right? So that's one thing. And the other thing is that we got to acknowledge that young people who are invested in are a lot less uh, prone to violence. They're a lot less... um, Subject to the traumatization of like I used to, I used to operate a teen center in one of the um, the most devastated neighborhoods in Detroit, and we closed at eight p.m. We weren't open on Fridays, Saturday, Sunday. We didn't have the resources to be a robustly staffed teen center. So many days it was just me. Some days I was able to hire pipe. <laughs> um, <laughs> shout out to Pipe who was teaching shout photography. Right? Oh, Yo, <laughs> the dopest photography teacher ever. Oh, I oh, bet. Thank you. So I can see her now. Yeah. So um, it was like these young people. There was nothing I could do to stop them from getting into what was on the other side of the doors. I'm with you, right? And and they still just wanted to come in and do poetry, right? Which my poetry was super duper whack. No. It was like, she yeah. is. Well, uh, okay, mm-mm. so it was English class. I was teaching them assonance, alliteration, 
similes, metaphors, and I was using Jay-Z and Eminem lyrics and all of this to break it on down. I was like, we are going to compound these poetic devices. I mean, this was English class. Like, for real, for real. You had to know what alliteration was. And... um. And and they are they they still wanted to come. like our young people wanted they wanted what I'm trying to say is there was nothing I could do to stop them from engaging in the negativity that were on the other side of the doors. We only could stay open so long. We only had so much staff and so many resources. We could only keep the lights open to a certain point, right? And then, but they wanted it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like this was a voluntary program. They came. Mm-hmm. And it was they, packed. They was like, Miss Aleb was going to feed us some pizza and teach us about alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> How dope does that even sound? Like, it, it was packed. so dope. It was packed. Trust me. I mean, but Where we was need this? more. Where spaces. was it? Where was this? The North End. Okay. It was, yeah, it was at Vanguard. Shout out to the North End. Yeah. But yeah, we need more of these spaces. I agree. We, we need more of these spaces. So I keep telling my mom, my mom is retired and she still got a lot of motor in her. And I'm like, dude, you need to, and I don't want to force her, but like something as little, and she did when she retired, she went to non, you know, nonprofits and taught English and did her thing. But I think she still should be in a space mm-hmm. teaching. You know, I, I think we are all, I think that's one thing that's par- powerful about our community. We all love to teach. Yeah. We all love to teach in a, in a, in, a, in a yeah. certain ways, yeah. indirectly and directly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have a question for you. Do you guys remember when, like, a a lot of the uh, guys, like, probably between the ages of like seventeen and probably thirty, were like last year they went and did the paintballing? They yes. like. How do you think that that was handled? Oh, I think that was okay. So first of all, I have so many thoughts about this. As somebody, like, I got two six-year-olds, okay. right? Like, as somebody's mom, mm-hmm. I cringe, right, mm-hmm. at the thought of my children's conflict being handled with paint everywhere in my <laughs> home, right? That's funny. So, like, but in reality, they could have been using bullets, right? Like, I was literally, I'm an artist, too. Like, I was literally overjoyed to see the videos and news clips that people were um, transmuting uh, violent scenar- potentially violent scenarios into fun. Okay. Like, that was a, a, a spiritual process, right? They were changing what could have been deadly into something that lifted their spirits, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> I thought that was dope. I thought it was... Handled extremely poorly, right? Like the police, <coughs> the police, um, I remember seeing a report like, you know, we're going to handle this very seriously. And um, I just remember being so disappointed. Like, like the murder rate in Detroit is so freaking high. There are people who didn't use paint to catch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that was a perfect opportunity for the police to go in a community and be like, okay, here's this park, two parks, a park per neighborhood. Have fun. Don't be out past this time. So we're gonna, yeah. So we're like, gonna give a block grant to 
X, Y, and Z right. rec center to build a paintball facility mm-hmm. so that y'all can take your, you know, like there are solutions. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. But you know what's interesting? Yes. Have you guys noticed? Uh, I remember in 20, uh, 2009 and um, I was a part of helping create a couple of the new skate parks. Okay, that's dope. But the thing is, when I was in those conversations, the population that I was wanting the skate parks for is our population. But I've noticed that those skate parks now, where they're built, are very inaccessible. Um, The one that's downtown, have you guys seen? It's like a big gate around it. Yep. And then um, another one that's like over on the east side, like the way that the like where it is is like right off of the street, so like that's not really safe because mm. like a skate park should be like more tucked in so that when they start doing those tricks and things, they can't like fall into the freaking street. Mm-hmm. Whereas like where they put that one on the east side, have you seen it? I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's like uh, is that grass it? Um, and and like basically if 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 you you know, move a little. If you're going a little bit too fast, you're going to end up like mm. on grass shit. Oh. <laughs> you know, I got you. But the thing is, is that um, what I've noticed, I feel like I've seen about five new skate parks all over the city. I'm talking about like east to west and all around. And um, pretty much barely seen any black young people at those skate parks. I've seen mostly white kids at the skate parks and um where i did see like one or two um black kids like at the skate park and i spoke to them and i asked them about you know uh like if they lived in the neighborhood and if they or if they had to like come from another neighborhood Mm -hmm. and um the ones that i spoke to told me that the skate parks are very inaccessible to them because when they go skate, the police come and start messing with them on the freaking skate park. That's ridiculous. And I've seen like white kids like skating all over all times of night, not just in a skate park. I'll be seeing them downtown, like skating all over all types of stuff. They not even supposed to be skating on a hundred percent. I've seen it too. When you've got a freaking skate park, literally up grass shit, from you know from downtown and the reason they built the skate park because they said they didn't want the kids skating all over everything right Mm -hmm. so these white kids can go skate 10 11 12 midnight all over downtown where it's flooded with like detroit one dan gilbert's private military police um you know the dpd wayne county sheriff they all over there white boys just skating all over the place you know uh, almost would knock you down trying to skate. And here these little black kids are just going to the freaking park that's made for them to skate in and being told that they can't be there, you know, because it's like nine o'clock. And they're skating. You understand what I'm saying? Like, why would you close the skate park at like nine o'clock? When, and, and I don't know. I just, that just don't make no sense to me. It don't make no sense to me either. <laughs> it don't make no sense to me. Just pushing them in another direction. Push them in another direction, right? They there with a skateboard skating at like nine o'clock at night, 
and you showing you that they're not and you messing with right. them. You a police going there messing with them because it's like the park closes at nine. It's like why would the park close at nine? That doesn't make no sense. They, they're so afraid of people, and, and our people are afraid of people 14 and up, 14 to like 35. People are afraid of black people 14 to like 35. And our people have to realize these kids are sour patch kids. They're sour <laughs> on the outside and sweet in the middle. You just got to get there. Aww. Literally. They are. That's such a good <laughs> I mean, Seriously, though. Seriously, that's like such a good, that's just, accurate. Just, mm-hmm. just eat the dang on Sour Patch Kid. I, I second that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I third it. But it's like interesting. Like we we just culturally don't have stuff for people that are. Uh, you know what? There's a word for them. They are called opportunity youth. Mm. The eighteen to twenty five demographic. Mm. Are they? Yeah, um, that that's a new term. Um, it's new to me. I mean, I I, I didn't hear it till uh, I think like twenty seventeen. They call them opportunity youth. Well, that's like grant language. I got you. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, like so eighteen to twenty five, and it means what you were de- describing. They're not in school. They're not on a track to get any sort of training. They're yeah. just out here, and they call them opportunity youth. Um, and they are, should I use the word targeting or directing those youth to go into um, workforce development programs and things like that, like stuff they have at Focus Hope. And um, it's just interesting because like I grew up in the in the 70s, 80s. And when I was in high school, they had um, these different, what do they call them, tech schools that are like, they're not college but it's like when you graduate high school, you go into this tech programs and the tech programs are um, or were at the time pretty much teaching. I want to say like outmoded like technologies, like, mm. you know, refrigeration repair and um, things like that, where there are useful skills. But it's an industry that's not I want to say dead. Fledgling but sort of industry. Right. I'm with you. Because if you're learning this refrigeration repair you know, but at the same time, society's being pushed into this consumer society where it's like they're not getting stuff fixed. They replace <laughs> they the just go get a new refrigerator. You know what I mean? Because they're making them cheaper. So then there was like this pathways of like obsolete, tra- like pathways to like obs- the jobs that would soon become obsolete. So I'm just looking at, you know what I'm saying? Like with our young people I never thought being, about that. being pushed into these workforce development programs, like a lot of these workforce development programs really are um, not training them to be in these careers that could be like long lasting. Yeah, that's this is history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom's, uh, Thomas Segru in the origins of the urban crisis, mm-hmm. he notates that that was one of the conditions that mm-hmm. uh, preceded the 67 riot. Very interesting. The the lack of economic opportunity for um, for people. So Detroit was was known to be this like place where economic opportunity existed, and yet it existed in a really uh, racially imbalanced way right like the the options for you know housing and jobs were just not open to black people in the same way they were open to white people and those conditions uh 
preceded the 67 riot. Absolutely. Mm. And we're seeing a, a repeat of those same conditions. Today. That's unreal. Yeah. Like that makes me think about the medical industry too, where there are girls who have babies at a very young age, they go through their GED program, and then their next step is to go through like this like medical training where they're supposed to be like trained to a be tech. like, yeah, an office, a medical biller or, and there are a lot of, a lot of that still exists. There's, it's not a, again, it's not a complete obsolete industry, but I remember vividly someone I know personally following that track and going out and searching for jobs and being like, this is like almost like a fluke. Like I got, I've wasted all this time studying this stuff. And really there's not jobs out here for this specific training for the, for, for this. Like, so mm-hmm. I've, I've wasted this much time and I could have been working on my singing or working on my poetry or my art or shoot, actually applying to schools for something that I really want to do. But I've been guided down this path that's like a dead end. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Well, because that's a part of the, um, I forgot the word for it, but it's like these hustles that are in the hood. So there's like the pawn shop is a hustle. The um, the payday loans is the hustle. The um, Those tech programs are part of that hustle. Like so structurally, you know, are the check cashing. So all these places are like traps, yet... It's difficult to like completely discount these things because at the same time, I, they save people. I hear it. At the same exact time, those things do save people where there is nothing else. I 100% agree with that because when you were talking about the being able to fix a refrigerator, I think about my brain and how even though I'm technically trained to understand elevators, it's opened my mind to critical thinking because of troubleshooting and recognizing an obsolete part. So if you, if your mentality is strong and you want to keep going and you enter a program like that, it's not a dead end. Let me correct myself because it's about the mentality and being able to take the mentality of what you're trained to do, to use it in other, other facets of your life. So I agree with you, Pipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. But I think that's the importance of what you're doing. Alea is, mm. um, is, is because yeah, like we can't rely on the oppressor, to educate us, to feed us, to, you know, nurture us. At the same time, we got to hold these elected officials and things and our so-called leaders in our community accountable. Like at the same, and we have to participate in the process of electoral politics and we have to, you know, build the plane while flying. So I'm just (laughs) like, you know, hats off to you because, um, like I said before, you're a mother. So you got two young people that when you're, when well, you got three. You got three. I totally six, forgot. Six was two. You got a set of twins? You got a twin? Set of a set, set of six-year-old twins. And boy, a, girl, boy, boy, girl, boy, girl. Boy, girl. Oh, my favorite. So girl. you got to go home and then do like ABCs and noodles <laughs> and make SpaghettiOs and stuff and like listen to the same story like 50 million times <laughs> they have and a sing good, the same song. Yep. They got a, <laughs> they got a shout out to, shout out to daddy. Be shout doing, out. Shout out. Yeah. He be doing this part. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, bless it. Yeah. But I, you're out here in these streets yeah. and you're raising amazing young people. I was just going to say, I like Tim from the me, first Her story. kids call me on the phone. Oh, they on the FaceTime. So they call I me like it. once a week. I'd be like, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> they call me on the FaceTime. I got you, Pipe. I got you. They do. They don't be saying nothing yet. 
but they just they dial up that FaceTime. I'd be like, okay. It sounds like you have a, a <laughs> amazing man in your arm for him to realize your work and realize no, what no, you're no, doing no, and no. being like we're divorced. But he is okay. the bomb. He All right, I'm with you. Good. I apologize yeah. for that, but yeah, I'm with no, you. No, he's a good daddy though. I'm mm-hmm, with you. Good mm-hmm. daddy. The lawn is gonna be. Mo- he is an awesome daddy. We didn't work. I got you. But he, shout out to dad. Shout, shout out, out to dad. Shout out to dad that's out there. You hear that, dads? You can still be invested. We love you. Yeah, we appreciate uh-huh. you. That's what's up, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what's, that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. Like, more investment. You know what I mean? Like, from everybody. Investment from... And, and patience, right? Because you have to have patience to, like, make something like that type of um, relationship work. You know what I mean? Because that's a relationship. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this, and then I'm a, I have to do this. I have mm. to, so there's a lot of, you know, compromise that's got to kind of, you know, happen with that, too. I hate to use the word compromise. I'm going to say um, collaboration. Balance. Yeah, I would know. just, I would say not. I think You don't um, think so? No, not in this particular scenario. Mm-mm. I just, you know, I, we're we're pretty separate about how we parent. Okay. But he is still like he he keeps the day the babies um three and a half days a week and I keep them the other three and a half days. Okay. But <clears throat> to me, I would call that collaboration cuz I would say like y'all still have to come to agreement like like cuz y'all don't have to say cuz cuz there's a lot of people that I know that are like, you know, um won't get to that point to where they would actually allow their child's father to like, and I shouldn't use the word allow. I'm going to say they don't, they don't make it so that um, their child's father can be in their lives in that, in that much of a way to, to the point where their dad can have an, that much of an impression on them. Cause if you think about it, they actually live with daddy like half the week. So they're getting that part of themselves and then they live with you half the week. So that's another part of themselves. Whereas like a lot of moms are like, you know, calling every five minutes, like telling <laughs> what to do. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I say mm. it's a collaboration because mm. you're you've made a decision. Like that's their dad. So what? A, you know, I'm not about to be over there policing their dad. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of women do. That's a lot of <laughs> a lot I of agree. women be policing I, the whole situation. <laughs> I get the whole don't don't pat yourself on the back, but that right there is a lot that is just not happening. That mm-hmm. takes a lot of that takes a lot of trust. I think about my trust, patience. two parent home. My mom was calling me every five minutes. <laughs> your daddy ain't feeding you no potato chips for breakfast, did he? <laughs> what time did your daddy get back home last night? <laughs> I do a lot. Shout out, mommy. I love you, mommy. I, Sorry, I, but it's the truth. I, I do a lot of praying. I do a lot of praying that <laughs> For real, for real. That's, that's wait, say no, that again, because that's important. What did you say you do? I said I do a lot of praying, but mm. I think it's possible to have the exact um, strong, opposing, opposite energy. Like, no, you put these babies in me, right? Right. These babies are half you. Mm-hmm. It took both mm-hmm. our energies to make them. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you got stuff to teach them. You got an assignment with these babies mm-hmm. on this earth. Mm-hmm. You better, boy. Right, right, right. nobody better not ever knock me up and expect not to be present and fully accounted for okay right says a lot about you that's dope right and and i think is you know that's really powerful why you look at me like that it's really powerful though like honestly because like i really wish let me tell you something when when we had 5e 
and we used to um, do um, community service program. And um, a lot of times, I'm going to keep it real with you. A lot of times I was doing a community service program so that a lot of our people would spend time with their kids. Mm. Because a lot of the hip hop, um, the dudes in hip hop, the, ch- the, the, the relationship they ha- would have with their child's mother was so traumatic to the point where they didn't even want to call the child's mother. And it's like, bro, you got to at least get in the phone and be like, nah, they wouldn't even want to go to the court. They wouldn't even want to do but, anything. It's yeah, such a fear. At- like, ah! Yeah, but that's another like cultural hip hop dynamic, right? Like it is. Hip hop is so misogynistic. Mm. So misogynistic. Like how how do you maintain a relationship when you fully embrace the culture like that? Mm. You know what I mean? Like how Sounds do you maintain shift I don't, civil rights movement too? But I digress. Yeah. Yeah. No, real talk. Yeah. Well, I, well, one thing that we did. I'm be honest with you. We were like, so I'm not going to name this person, but I'm gonna just name the behavior. So this person is like known like a famous hip hop artist. And um they found out that they had a, a son. They found out they had a child. And so I'm gonna say they found out they had a child, but um they were they didn't want to take a DNA test, right? And I think part of the reason they didn't want to know they had a DNA test is because they knew. <laughs> but um they didn't want to take a DNA test, so they kept blaming the child's mother. Uh, all this sort of like shaming, right? Oh, she's a hoe. She slept with everybody in hip hop. She did. It. I'm like, well, wouldn't a DNA test like solve something rather quickly for you to figure out? Like, <laughs> if it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love that's a no brainer to me. <laughs> you just talking about you don't so want to take it because because she been with everybody. Okay, take the test. Right. Well, right. Right. So he took Was the she with you. Huh? Right. Yes. Right. right. Okay. So the fellas that was in the space was trying to tell me that I was being too rough on him because they was like, oh, um, you can't, put, you know, basically they were saying I was trying to tell him what to do. I said, you know what? At this particular moment, I'm going to turn into grandma and I'm going to tell you what to do. And I'm going to tell you that until you get that DNA test, you're not allowed back in this space. Oh, the fellas was like, you can't do that because he's famous. I said, I don't care how many records you sold. I don't care what you do. I am not going to reward that behavior that you get to like disregard a whole human that was born, possibly because you uh, decided that you want to have sex with somebody with no condom, but then you want to blame that person for sleeping with people in the community, but you don't want to step up. No, you can never freaking come here again. Don't ever come here again. And we're not friends unless you handle that situation. This hurt this dude like so bad. Oh wow! That and all the rest of the dudes was like calling me a dragon and all the things you call black women. And every time he would try to come to our thing, I would have him removed. And people was like, "Wow, that was deep." You that? And he finally, it took him. Um, mm. I think it was a year and a half, and he walked up to me, um, in the middle of an event one day, right. And I told him, you got to go. Because I was still on it. About a year and a half later, he was like, no, no, no. I just want to let you know. I got that test. And that's my baby. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? The kid was like 10 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so what you going to do? And he was like, I guess I got to go be a father now. This dude would call me on the phone. We would talk for like hours at a time. And he would tell me how guilty he felt 
about neglecting this 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 child for like ten whole years and how they was gonna do he was gonna do the best he could to like be back in the child's life. Mm-hmm. And and I give it to him. Now now this is, you know, years ago. So now his kid has a kid. And I see this dude all over Facebook <laughs> all the time with this grandbaby. Talking about, I'm a granddad. Look at my grandbaby, like, calling me, talking about issues that, you know, I'm trying to teach my son this, net, net. And just completely 180 degree, like, is a dad and has embraced the whole thing. And, like, I just think about when you said earlier about, like, our community and, like, being disconnected and, like, people if you just touch another person, how much that absentee father and mother, how much the absentee parents, it has played in the violence and has played in this level of like mistrust in our communities. Think about the difference now in this person's life because he now had, in this child's life, whose father wasn't there for the first 10 years. And then now he gets to benefit from his father being a famous hip-hop person yeah and then his grandkid so anyway i just wanted to like put that into the space because like the work you're doing is so pivotal and phenomenal we gotta get we gotta help it motivates me to realize like there's 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 particular niches that if we all find a niche or join a niche we can can do this yeah for sure that's that's a beautiful niche and it shows it shows our brothers that we love them we 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 love you we love you. We really do. We say that like almost every show, don't we? we? Yes. We do. Yeah, so, so okay. Well, you've been here. You've given a lot. You've mm-hmm. let us know. We got to bring you back on to like talk more because you said you're doing the coalition building. Mm-hmm. So once you get more deeper into like that stuff, we want to bring you back so that we can figure out like what to do oh, from yeah. there. We'll bring some of the coalition members. That'll be a very oh. lively conversation. That'll be cool. <laughs> so how does how do people connect with you? How do they get involved? And how can they support the work that you're doing? Well, yeah, check out the website, forestdetroit.org, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can reach me personally. Um, this is my cell phone number, 313-600-8877. Uh, give me a call, send me a text. Um, you can reach out to us uh, via email through the website, um, but you can also get involved, right? And so pretty soon we'll be having community meetings about the survey. We want to hear like why people thought that way, and we want to give people an opportunity to talk to their um, to their elected officials about uh, what they think should happen as a result to to. Uh, Reduce violence in Detroit. I'm sorry, I'm sleeping. That's okay. So what we want to do is we want to support that work too. So yeah, let us know because we want to make sure that we promote it. You know, bring bring the whole hood out. So then, um, yeah. Well, we thank you, um, Alea Harvey Quinn from Force Detroit. You know, ForceDetroit.org, working on decriminalization of our people. Working to uh, shift the narrative and the definition of safety. A freer, safer Detroit. Right? And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us here on the Piper Carter Podcast. Uh, you can email Brittany. What's your email? Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. Man, just misunderstood. Huh? Never mind the black.
hitting under my skirt. I'm so lucky to have a good man that cares about me and gets so jealous. Smashing my face into relish. All of the truth he embellished. It's all for a good cause. I love what's stand even when the world falls. I feel unprotected when the night falls. I'm just a strong woman. This is not abuse. But don't nobody else understand him like I do, when you know? Domestic violence is one of the crimes girl. with me. Together forever past, now or later I could be such an instigator And then I make him so frustrated The gun was to my head, but he didn't shoot He stopped me in my stomach with his tin boots I heard my babies crying on the staircase Watching daddy punching mommy dead in the face I feel like I should leave him, but instead I stay I know he loves me even though he's cheating on me He probably needs more I'm not good enough, I'm not pressing charges I don't want him in handcuffs Big bad wolf, he gon' huff and puff I'd rather swallow this bottle of pills to speak up Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit.